You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another edition of Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood, and I am excited. Why am I excited? Work Human is less than two weeks away. But even though it's two weeks away, you can still come to Work Human. Tell a friend. Go to workhuman.com. Register for the conference. If you are by the Austin area the first week of April, join us. You have to be a part of this one-of-a-kind event. It's going to be the best HR event of the year. It is going to be where all the major players are and all the important conversations about the future of work will be taking place. But enough tooting my own horn. This week's interview is with Christine Comerford. She is the leadership and culture coach with Smart Tribes Institute, and she's going to give us a sneak peek into her talk at WorkHuman, in which we're going to learn how to use neuroscience to make better teams and improve the way we work. So take a listen, and I will see you after the break, and hopefully I will see you at WorkHuman. And if you've already registered, come by the WorkHuman radio booth. We're going to be doing interviews all day. Come say hi. So we have Christine Comerford on the line with us. Hello, Christine. Hello, Sarah. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So I thought we'd start out with a little bit on your background. Uh, what led you to researching the neuroscience of teams? You know, uh, Sarah, I became fascinated with the potential of human beings when I was 15 years old. And so I started researching and reading and kind of doing my own, you know, kid-like version of like, wow, what is it that makes people happier than others, more successful than others? And I quickly figured out that it was really about what meaning did we assign to what happened to us. You know, nothing is either good or bad, as Shakespeare said, only thinking makes it so. So how is it that, like, um, if it's a cold, rainy day, some people will say, oh, man, this is awful, this is the worst, it's going to be so lousy in traffic. And other people say, woo, cool, rain, this is great. It's like fresh air, you know, and now I get to really have a little bit more time to listen to that book on, on audio, you know, as I drive home. You know, what is it that causes people to create different meaning? And what that meaning then affects uh, our beliefs and our behavior and, frankly, our level of happiness and absolutely our level of success. So that was 40 years ago I started looking at that. Then, of course, I got involved with you know, studying in neuroscience labs, and I was an engineer at Microsoft and Apple in the uh, 80s and early 90s, and I realized that the coolest computer on the planet is the human brain, and the software is our beliefs, and our beliefs drive our behavior, our identity, our capability, our happiness, the environments we create around ourselves, etc. So we have a new book coming out in January 2018, Power Your Tribe, and that brings all of my favorite neuroscience-based tools to choose the meaning that you want, to determine what happens to you, and the best part, frankly, is to help your team and the other humans in your life choose as well. This is what makes us emotionally agile. So my goal since I was 15 years old, I didn't totally know it then, was to help people become resilient and agile emotionally and choose the experience that they want to have intentionally. So it's really been a lifelong passion. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it's essential though because 90% of our decisions, 90% of our behaviors are driven, are dominated by our emotional brain. So like, we got to figure out how to navigate our emotions or it's just going to be painful. 
And your, your session at Work Human, it's called the Neuroscience of Optimal Teams. And part of that abstract, you talk about activating the reward network versus the pain network. So can you explain this a bit for our audience? Yes, and let me first say we're doing two sessions. We're doing optimal teams, and then we're also doing neuroscience of connection, where we're going to talk about how to speak another person's language and step deeply into their experience of the world so we can establish that rapid rapport and we can navigate any sort of change scenarios or challenges with them. But let's mm -hmm. go back to the for a sec. So the pain network is where our brain registers emotional pain. And this research originally came from Naomi Eisenberger's work at UCLA. And we equate that with what we call the critter state. The critter state, like a little animal, safe or not, dead or not, fight, flight, freeze, is when we're in the part of our brain, uh, the limbic system, where, where we're kind of in that lockdown. We don't have the ability to respond. We are compulsively reacting. We've all been there. You know, you get into extreme stress, you go into your critter state. So whenever we're in that fight or flight or freeze, we don't have choice. We're just reacting. So when we're in that limbic system override, that fight, flight, freeze, that compulsively reacting versus responding from choice, we are triggering the pain network or the pain network in our body is fully alive. And in pain, we're in survival. The reward network is where the brain registers the experience of reward and even the anticipation of it. So what's cool about living and working in the reward network is we have all three parts of our brain working together, reptilian, mammalian, prefrontal cortex slash neocortex, and we get to work and live in this wonderful state called the smart state where we're flooded with positive neurotransmitters and hormones. We feel great, peaceful, capable, resourceful. And how do we get in and stay in that smart state, if you will? That's what we're going to work on in both of my sessions at Work Human. Because once we understand that there's actually physiology directly tied to our mood, and we can create that physiological experience. I'll tell you one example in a sec. Then as leaders, as humans, as people that interact with other humans, we can help people become more emotionally agile and resilient. People talk about emotional engagement a lot, Sarah. Mm. What is it? What's the recipe, right? Because otherwise it's kind of squishy. The recipe for emotional engagement is one hormone and two neurotransmitters. How cool is that? The hormone is oxytocin. That is the bonding hormone. That is the we're in this together. That is that great feeling that you get physiologically when somebody hugs you. You can create that experience of oxytocin in the workplace without having excessive hugging or any hugging at all. <laughs> but um, we'll talk about that in a sec because some people are like, oh, no, I can't be hugging at work. Okay, we're not going there. I'm just giving you an example. Second, that's the, that's the hormone. Neurotransmitter, serotonin, the feel-good neurotransmitter. How do we feel at good, work, good at work? If you look at the latest research, it's achievement. Achievement creates that experience of pride, you know, confidence, which then creates the experience of happiness. Happiness doesn't come first. Achievement comes first. Serotonin, one neurotransmitter. The other neurotransmitter, dopamine, one of my personal favorites, if not taken in excess. And dopamine is the anticipation of reward. Dopamine does a lot of things. But one of the things it does is light up the areas of the brain that are anticipating reward. So we're cold and hungry and have a ton of deadlines now, but look at the cool place we're going. 
And we're getting closer every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we're going to learn tools at Work Human that you can put into place that are potent and easy to use and easy to learn. This is why we have over 600,000 smart tribes out there using these tools. And what's cool is you can use these tools to actually create the triggering, the lighting up of that hormone and those two neurotransmitters and create intentionally create engagement work. It's so cool. So if companies are able to tap into that emotional engagement, do you think that then leads to more you know, organizational resilience? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Organizational resilience, individual resilience, all that good stuff that we love. Higher productivity, less burnout, right? More achievement, more collaboration, more innovation, et cetera. Yes, you nailed it. That's exactly what happens. So I think I, this is all, you know, right in line with work human and, you know, appealing to the whole human at work. But a lot of people, when they hear about emotional engagement, they think it's a bit squishy, like you said, um, and it, it can be a hindrance, especially if people don't trust the people they work with. So what would you say is the most common blocker to fostering that trust in the workplace? Uh, well, it's, it's really the lack of or lower levels of safety, belonging, and mattering. Mm-hmm. We've got to feel safe certainty, as much certainty as we can have, because we all know that the new standard is rapid and relentless change. (laughs) So safety, belonging, we're in this together, we're all connected, we have equal value and mattering. I make a difference here, you make a difference here. We each bring unique qualities to the workplace. When we really stress the importance of safety, belonging, and mattering at work, safety plus belonging plus mattering equals trust. And we have trust breakdowns when people don't feel safe, when they don't feel they belong with each other. It's, oh, you know, oh, those guys at the top of the org chart, you know, they don't value us, et cetera. And when we have mattering low, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not, you know, I'm just a cog in a wheel. So working on those three things, and we have tools that help people measure the degree of safety, belonging, mattering in their workplace, and how to boost it with different cultural rituals and programs, I mean, that's huge, you know? It makes so can you give a, give a bit of a teaser? Like what's one thing that managers or leaders can do to create that sense of safety and belonging? Yes, yes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's do um, performance motivation. So a lot of people talk about performance management, and that's, that, that worked great in like the 1980s. Um, but it's really time for us to upgrade our systems to performance motivation. Performance motivation is awesome because it creates intrinsic uh, intrinsic motivation, right? We're not always having to use carrot stick, carrot stick, carrot stick. We actually have the person who wants to perform better. Three tools do that. Impact descriptions, job descriptions, that stuff stuff should go out the window a long time ago. Job descriptions are boring and stupid. They don't add (laughs) value. Impact descriptions, you take the good old job description, you dust it off, and you add just a few things to it. Who we are as a company, who you are to succeed in this role, how this role matters, how this role makes a dent in the universe, you know, who your internal customers are. So we're actually painting this picture of this role creating an experience of safety, belonging, mattering. So impact descriptions are huge, and we'll provide that in our program. IDPs, individual development plans, 
how that person wants to stretch and grow and evolve and how the company will support them in it this quarter, this year, et cetera. Um, impact descriptions help us understand how to thrive in this role. Individual development plans help us learn how to, how to thrive in the future. So we're constantly looking forward. And what does that create? A lot of serotonin, a lot of oxytocin, a lot of dopamine, all these three mm -hmm. things. Self-evaluations, look at Yale's latest research, kind of frightening. The number one stressful thing in the workplace, performance reviews. Terrifying to people. <laughs> okay. Circle it's that time, time of year. <laughs> it is, and everyone's like, yeah, 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 they're chewing their nails. Here's the thing. When we create a system that's around self-evaluations, where the person gets to evaluate themselves first, then they send it to their leader. Their leader gets to have a week or so to look at that person's experience, to look at their own experience and provide some feedback. Then it's not, you know, on high you're being told if you're worthy or not. No, it's a collaborative effort of what's working and what would we like to see more of. You know, we never want to say what's working and what's not working. We want to say, hey, what's working? And what would we like to see more of? Because that way we don't have to shut people down and send them into critter state, right, where the best part of their brain is unavailable. So those are three pieces of performance motivation that really help create optimal teams. Mm -hmm. What about um, a lot of companies now are doing, you know, or implementing systems that make it easier for managers and employees to have those continuous conversations throughout the year. How does that play into that framework? Um, super important, Sarah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, we, we want to get rid of that annual review nonsense because it doesn't feel fair. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I did some really great, great stuff in the first quarter, and like you forgot it by the time we got to the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So it's, it doesn't feel fair. Fairness, send, unfairness, pardon me, sends people into the pain network, critter state, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We don't want to create unfairness in the workplace. It's really, 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 really damaging. So we also like to make sure that, that when we do performance motivation, we're doing those evals. Some of our clients do it four times a year. Mm -hmm. um, four times a year, two times a year, but yes, thank you. The ongoing feedback, because that would be course correct, right? It's the worst to find out after six months that, like, you messed something up. It's like, dude, tell me right then and there, <laughs> and I can fix it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, ongoing conversations, huge, huge, ongoing feedback. Remember when you were a kid, did you play that game? Um, I'm older than you, so you might not have played this game, and this game might have been passe. But we played this game, which was, like, hot, cold, warm. So yes. to be in the swimming yep. pool. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, people would be like, warmer, cooler, yep. warmer, warmer, cold, 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 cold. And so you'd change your direction, getting warmer, more hot, 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 hot. Yeah. So you'd understand how you were doing. And that's what feedback, frequent feedback, regular feedback, we have to make it normal. Some people see feedback as like this weird, scary thing because it's not done right. It's like, hey, what's working is this. I'm like, what's totally not working smack is that. But if we can use more positive and more smart state-oriented approach like what's working is and what I'd like to see more of is, then mm -hmm. we can keep people in that receptive state. And we do it often so they, they aren't wondering, am I hot? Am I cold? How am I doing? You know, so often people don't actually know if their leader is happy with them or not at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it can, happy, be, know. it can be no, easier to hear when, you know, it, when you've had those positive moments of feedback, you know, it's easier to hear something that's a bit of a course correction. 
Yes, 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 I totally agree. And, you know, a lot of leaders were trained with, like, the feedback sandwich. Well, you're awesome here, but you're not so great here. But you're awesome because I feel really weird giving you feedback. And then the person's like, well, am I awesome or not? Like, I don't mm-hmm. get it. You know? <laughs> but here's the thing is people are awesome. Behaviors work or don't. So if we can just look at separating the behavior from the human, we can say, you know, these are the behaviors that are working. These are the behaviors I'd like to see more of. It's not a personal attack at all. But we we so wrap up the human and the behaviors, we need to decouple those. I like that approach (laughs) because you're still appealing to, you know, that emotional person. You know, you can't, you don't take that off when you go to work. Um, People do tend to take things personally. um, But really when you put it like that, you know, this is, it's business, but we care about our people as humans. So Global Force, you know, we're a social recognition company. Um, how can you see social recognition empowering employees to perform better, to feel that sense of uh, safety that you were talking about? Yeah, social recognition, also called social validation, is is huge because we all want to think back to safety belonging mattering for a sec, think back to how tribal humans are. Humans need each other. When we're little tiny babies, from the very beginning, we learn that, like, you know, we're counting on somebody to feed us and to bathe us and to provide shelter for us. We totally learn how to socially attach, at it, you know, gosh, from the moment that we, that we open our eyes. Um, and what's interesting is that people somehow weirdly forget that that, that, that transfers into work as well. There's parental transference at work. Anybody who's listening who's ever had a direct report knows that they get some mom and dad stuff you know, projected on them. That's okay. We need each other. <laughs> so since we need each other, since we're such tribal beings, we all want to have status in the tribe. We all want to be safe and belong and matter. When we look at the worst punishment ever for a human being, it's not death. It's isolation. It's excommunication. It's not safe, don't belong, don't matter. So when we are socially recognized, when we are validated in a meaningful way, so we find the most meaningful validation is when we actually acknowledge and appreciate somebody for modeling one of the company's values, right? We don't just say, oh, you know, Joe, high five, you're awesome. Joe might get like a little sugar high, but then he's going to crash afterwards. Well, how am I awesome? How can I be more awesome? How can I get that awesomeness repeated? But if we say high five five Joe for modeling our values of teamwork and accountability, he got the complex XYZ project done on time by pulling the sales and marketing together. Woo, amazing teamwork, amazing accountability, high five Joe. Then other people can go, wow, Joe's good at teamwork and accountability. Huh, if that's something I want to work on, I should talk to Joe. I can see Joe as a mentor there. Joe gets some more status, et cetera. So we need to recognize people publicly. We need to recognize them specifically. And we need to help them see, you know, the stuff that, we, that they also, where they need to grow and change and what behaviors are going to work better. So what, my last question is something we love to ask all of our work human speakers because we like to hear different perspectives. Uh, what does a human workplace mean to you? 
Uh, I love your conference because I just think it's so beautiful and bold and important and essential to talk about this stuff. Um, a place where the conditions have been created, so leadership has created the conditions for each person to bring their personal best, to perform at the level that they are truly capable of, a place where all feel safe, all feel that they belong, all feel that they matter, a place where people are cultivated and elevated and appreciated, and a place where people are proud to work and where they can celebrate achievements, share those challenges, and at the end of the day, they're all in it together. I love that, especially, you know, the idea of belonging and celebration. I think that's really key to the movement. Thank you for listening to our interview with Christine Comerford. You will see her at Work Human. You might be driving to work right now or driving home from work, and you might be realizing, I wonder if there's some better things I could be doing with my team to improve the chemistry. Well, you just listened to one of the best experts on that, so uh, three cheers to you. Once again, my name is Mike Wood. I will be at WorkHuman in the WorkHuman radio booth. I hope to see all of you there. Next week, stay tuned for a special guest podcast with the one and only Lori Rudiman, who's going to be talking to Patty Fletcher and our own Lauren Zajac about the Me Too movement. So stay tuned, and I hope to see you for the next WorkHuman radio.